Most people don't like to be told what to do. I would count myself as this type of person. Uh, our refrigerator starts to warn us when the water filter is gonna expire. It gives us like a countdown. And, and then it'll put up this red symbol along with how many days uh, you're overdue. And I actually have the replacement filter in my possession. However, I haven't put it in yet. Why is that, you ask? Spite. No refrigerator is going to tell me what to do. It might seem silly, but I'm just sharing some of my neurosis with you. Uh, think of all the rules you were forced to obey as a kid. Right? Some of us are still in that age right now, if we live at home. Uh, one struggle I remember uh, with my parents was bike helmets. Right? You got to wear your helmet. Well, my parents didn't understand that the point of riding your bike was to look cool, not safe. Right? And so now that I'm a parent, the helmet debate seems a lot clearer. You're wearing your helmet. <laughs> uh, my kids will wear one without exception. This is my great buddy, Steve. Uh, and he and I have ridden bikes together a whole bunch, uh, including one time when we were out on a trail and, and he came across a tree root just right and he like upended over his bike. Now we gave him a hard time after he was okay. His bike, like the name of his bike was called the Stump Jumper. <laughs> he didn't jump the stump. Uh, but it wasn't so funny because at the time, because he crashed super hard. Now I called him and we couldn't find an exact picture of his helmet, but it looked a lot like this. I mean, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say this, this helmet saved his life. Uh, so we may feel like mom or dad make us wear helmets or that they're hot or they look dorky or whatever, but what's pretty clear is when you get in an accident, a helmet is very helpful. Even if you don't want to, it really is better to wear one. It's human instinct to desire autonomy. I make my own decisions. I decide when I'm gonna change the water filter in my refrigerator. I decide if I'm going to wear a helmet or not. I will decide what's best for me. This goes all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis 2, when people ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I, you know, a lot of my life I wondered, well, what, are, what does that mean? So this phrase is used in the Bible here and five other times. And consistently, what this phrase means is... is the tree of the knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil means to formulate and articulate a judicial decision. Interpreted this way, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents people having the power to decide for themselves what is in their best interests and what is not. That's been the struggle of humankind since the beginning. Do we look to God for what is best or decide for ourselves? We prefer independence to obedience. And if we follow Christ, then it's implicit that we obey Christ. I heard a pastor once say, the hardest person you'll ever lead is yourself. What I hope we'll discover today as we study God's word together is that obedience is a journey. In the series, O is for leadership, we're looking at the life of Paul, God's chosen instrument to spread good news about Jesus from its Jewish origins in Jerusalem to around the world to all the Gentiles. That's a word for people who aren't Jewish. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Paul's circumstances and preparation led him to opportunity that God had for him. Last week, Pastor Sherry talked about the obstacles that, that Paul and any leader who undertakes anything faces. Next week, we'll look at the outcomes of our lives being up to God 
But today we're going to be looking at the obedience that growing as a faithful leader requires. In Romans 6, Paul is writing to the early church in Rome. This is emblematic of his mission to the Gentiles. Again, people who weren't Jewish. Uh, so there's facets of the letter indicating that the audience is, is both Jewish and Gentile. And, and there were issues uh, about what they believed about the Jewish law that he was addressing. Right? Should new Christians, should, should, should people new to the faith still be required to observe the Jewish law that most of these people had grown up under? And what, what role does that law play in the lives of modern believers of Christ? I'd love for you to imagine a tradition that you hold dear. Maybe it's around a holiday or a birthday or whatever. Something in your family, something you do at work. What's a tradition you hold dear? One of my favorite days was donuts with grown-ups at my kids' school. I loved it. I helped. I volunteered. I handed out donuts all day. Got to, my kid thought it was hilarious that I got to go into school. It was great. We only did that one time in 2019 because in 2020, we weren't able to do that. So that was a tradition I looked forward to and really had only done it that one time. For some of these believers from a Jewish background, they were concerned about laws and traditions passed down for generations. I mean, imagine the weight that this carried you know, take that tradition in your family and multiply it by 2,000 plus years. Romans 6 addresses this and not only these ancient doctrinal debates, but a modern one as well. Maybe you've heard a version or thought of a version of this. If God is so forgiving, then why don't I just kind of wait till I'm about to die and then I'll ask forgiveness for everything since it all works out in the end anyway. Paul takes this on in Romans 6. So we're gonna pick up in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. In other words, the question is, should I live in such a way that kind of takes advantage of God's graciousness and forgiveness, even though I know better? Paul says, by no means. William Barclay, one of my favorite uh, Bible scholars, he translated this as, God forbid. And, and I guess the Adam Musto translation, it's not accurate, but it would be, heavens No. The law was the system of, of sacrifices and requirements given to the Israelites in the Old Testament. So, so when Paul says, refers to the law, it's, it's a big thing. It was a system in place to show people right from wrong. Just like a child needs their parent to show them or to tell them that a helmet is the best thing for them, that they should wear a helmet, we need to look to someone other than ourselves for what is best. Earlier in Romans, Paul said, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law revealed the distance between God's holy standard and our sinfulness. And Christ came to close that distance and make us holy, not through our actions, but his. We are justified or pardoned, not based on what we have done for God anymore, not based on the law, but based on what God has done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because we're justified by faith, because we're pardoned, not because we've earned it, but by believing in Jesus, we are not under the law, but under grace. And that means God doesn't give us what we do deserve. And it also means that God gives us things that we don't deserve. And so because of Christ, we can make the shift from being under the law to under grace. 
And Paul offers a seemingly uncomfortable analogy to describe the total power that sin has had over our lives and the total liberation that Jesus offers. This is verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Ah, nothing like a slavery analogy to make 21st century listeners comfortable, right? This doesn't put us at ease. Now, when we read about slavery in scripture, the acknowledgement of slavery as an ancient institution is different and is not the same as a biblical endorsement for slavery. We can take the truth of this illustration without approving of a first century reality. I love what Thomas Hoyt said. Masters had complete domination over their slaves, even the power of life and death. For Paul, all human beings are slaves. They are either ruled by sin or by obedience. One's whole life is determined by which of the two masters one serves. And so who will we serve? One choice leads to death, one leads to life. Because of Christ, we can go from inheriting death to life. Paul says later in chapter six, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So who do we give our allegiance to? Our sinful desires or to God? I believe it was Bob Dylan that said, you're gonna serve somebody. Because of Christ, we can serve righteousness instead of sin. So how do we do that? In verse 17, we read, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And so our allegiance is to Christ. We look to him over and above our own selfish desires. When we put our faith in Christ, we submit to the process of the Holy Spirit working on us and, and in us. There's a difference between obedience out of self-preservation and obedience that comes from the heart. And, and because of Christ, we can move from have to, to want to, from have to, to want to. And you know the difference. It's the difference between getting good grades to avoid punishment versus doing your best at school to show your parents how hard you've worked. It's the difference between being forced to go to some conference or webinar where they're gonna take attendance and penalize you if you're not there to pursuing professional development because you want to on your own. There's obedience out of trying to avoid punishment or gain reward, that's have to. And then there's the type of obedience that comes from the heart. That it pleases you to please God. You obey because you believe it's God's best for you. This pattern of teaching has now claimed your allegiance. That's the journey of obedience from have to to want to. And that's what I think marks this journey, this dynamic of have to and want to. Even if it's not our preference, friends, we will have to do a lot of things in life, won't we? In fact, leadership isn't really required unless it's hard. No leadership is required to do easy stuff. It's easy. Leadership is going to require doing things that are hard and, and you find you don't want to. Listen to this list from the life of Paul. 
He says this in 2 Corinthians. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. One shipwreck would be a lot. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Would you like to follow Jesus along with me? That's a long, the list could have been like 20% as much and it'd still be an impressive list, wouldn't it? We're gonna have to experience some things that we don't want to. But despite all of that, Paul kept going in obedience. He would later write to his protege, Timothy, that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. And so how can we have the same mindset of being willing to strive to be obedient to Christ. Now, if we start off by comparing ourselves to Paul, we may be disappointed, might be discouraged. And so I view obedience as a journey and ultimately a journey that leads from have to to want to. And, and, and so I was trying to figure out how to visualize this in my own mind. And, and I, 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 I did the best I could with this, with this chart that I'm trying to lay out the concept. So there's some, there's good decisions and bad decisions, right? So there's some good things that Jesus calls us to that we don't want to do. And if we don't do it, that's disobedience, right? But then there's that, that take that same good thing. You still don't want to do it, but then you do. That's called obedience. And then that same good thing over time, actually you find I do want to do this. And then you do it. That's what I would call mature obedience. That's the difference between you have to and you want to. And then on the other side, there's, there's maybe some bad things that Christ calls us to, to quit doing. And so maybe there's this bad thing, you do want to do it, and you do. Disobedience. But then that same bad thing you still want to do it, but you don't. That's obedience. I'm going to do something. I, I, I'm going to not do something that's bad. I actually would prefer to do. That's obedience. But then over time, your desire changes. And that bad thing, you now don't want to do anymore. And you don't. That's mature obedience. There are good things Christ calls us to. And there are bad things Christ calls us away from. Sometimes we leave good things undone in sin. Other times, we actively do bad things in sin. A huge mark of spiritual progress is doing good things even though you don't want to and not doing bad things even though you'd like to. So I, I, I wanna be very clear. It's a huge step in the process of obedience when you do something that's good even though you really would prefer not to. That's a huge advance in our spiritual life. That's obedience, not doing bad things even though you want to. This is obedience and, and we do things knowing that we have to. Things like forgiving our enemy. Who wants to forgive their enemy? That's why they're my enemy. Who wants to do that? Christ calls us to. 
And so we do it out of obedience, even if we don't want to. And, and, and then once, once we've actually experienced that, over time, we begin to discover God wants me to forgive this person, not because God is mean, but because God wants what's best for this person and for me. And so through the Holy Spirit, our desire changes to actually do the things God wants us to do. That's mature obedience. Something like giving to the church. I grew up in a pastor's house. My dad tithed my allowance for me. (laughs) I didn't even have a choice. I did it because I had to. But over time I learned, wait, it's a good thing for me not to clutch my possessions as if they're only mine. It's a good thing to bless others. Sarah and I give 12% of our gross income to this church because we want to. We actually like it. Now, I, I, I picked this example specifically. Nobody likes to listen to somebody who makes themselves the hero of this sermon, okay? I use money because one, it's very calculable, right? We, we can't actually, like it's hard to have an Excel chart for your forgiveness for someone. You can actually calculate where your finances go pretty quickly. And, and I also know it's uncomfortable for a lot of people And I have zero comfort, excuse me, I have zero discomfort talking about this stuff because it's a joyful thing to me. Not because I'm special, but because over time, the Holy Spirit worked within my life to bring me to a different place where my desires actually aligned with God's. This is what it looks like to come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching of Jesus. This teaching that has claimed our allegiance. That's when we actually want to do the good things that Christ calls us to and less of the bad things Christ forbids us to do. That process is called sanctification, the journey of becoming more holy. Obedience is a journey, friends. We are prone to desire independence over obedience, but we were created to look beyond ourselves to what is good. This means we'll have to spend some time doing some things we don't wanna do and leaving behind some things that we would really rather do. But any version of Christianity that stops there, it sounds terrible. Hey, you wanna do some stuff you can't stand and you wanna quit doing things you really enjoy? Put your faith in Jesus. Like, that sounds pretty tough, right? But Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. When we put our faith in Christ and give our allegiance to his teaching, It's a pattern that we mold our lives after. This is mature obedience. Obedience to Christ, not to avoid punishment, not because you have to, but because you want to be like him. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, it's good to be together in your presence today. We thank you for the witness of the early church and the disciples that carried on your pattern of teaching and passed it down, not just to uh, those geographically near Jerusalem or those who were ethnically Jewish, but they carried forward this message to the whole world. And we're here today because of that. God, as they pushed through many trials and challenges and obstacles and strove and labored for you. Help us to do the same. 
give us the desire in our hearts for joyful obedience. That we would pursue the life you've called us to, not just to avoid punishment or not just for what we might gain, but simply because it pleases you. Open our hearts to receive the reality that we need someone beyond ourselves to show us what is best and help us to put our faith and trust in you. Help us to look to you, God, for how to live. In Christ's name we pray, amen.